Yo, what's going on, good people? Welcome to a brand new episode of the Quarterly Report Podcast, episode 143. Of course, I am your host, Armand Lee, thanking each and every one of you all for rocking with me for another hour or so this week. Really good show lined up for you guys. Bullets Forever uh, contributor Kevin Broom will be stopping by discussing so many things, man. You know, oftentimes, one of the things that really bothers me when it comes to NBA discussion is... Like, Slim, how many times can you talk about LeBron? There's so many super dope, interesting storylines when it comes to the NBA, specifically when it comes to the restart. So we're going to talk about the Utah Jazz. We're going to talk about the Wizards. It's so much more. Really looking forward to that conversation. Plus, ESPN has been looked upon for basically its inception as the mothership, right? They are the focal point when it comes to national sports news. Yet they keep on voluntarily taking L's. And they almost, Slim, it may be time after one decision that they just made, it may be time for me personally to cut all strings to that organization. All of that and so much more. But first, our number one topic this week. First quarter. Two very important things I want to say before I even start this show this quarter number one it has been brought to my attention that in the intro i say this is episode 143 i'm incorrect this is 153 153 y'all i'm just getting old now but i don't want y'all to think yo hold on slim did i listen to the wrong one did i download the wrong one no no no, no. this is 153 so everybody my bad i said 143 in the intro slim i'm old this is one 53. I'm not shortchanging myself 10 episodes, all right? And in the first quarter, we're going to start the show like this, and this probably is probably the most important thing I'll say in this quarter, maybe in the entire show, because some of y'all bammers act like y'all don't understand, you know, and we're going to dive deeper into this in this quarter. I could probably do a whole show on this, but I'm going to try, try being the keyword to keep this as efficient as possible. So without further ado, Y'all, man, there is no such thing as cancel culture. Let me repeat that. There is no such fucking thing as cancel culture. You don't get canceled. Who gets canceled? Like the past week, I'm going to talk about Deshaun and Steven Jackson, no relation. But this has been a, 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 a continuous thing. Where so many people on both sides of the aisle, but, you know, primarily it seems like the people who lean right keep on talking about, oh, my goodness, cancel culture. And it's a Twitter online mob and they're trying to cancel you and this, that, and the third. Slim, honestly, I ask you guys to email me stuff all the time, and usually it's open-ended. But if you honestly are one of these people who feel that cancel culture is something to be concerned about, and it's not just this mythical Bigfoot. It's, it's just what it's Twitter's version of Bigfoot or, you know, the pot at the end of the rainbow. That junk doesn't exist, bro. So I'm asking, I'm asking. Give me one person who has been, quote unquote, canceled who did not break the law. And what do I mean by that? Don't come to me with Bill Cosby. He's a rapist. He's a serial rapist. Don't come to me with Harvey Weinstein. He's a rapist. 
a serial rapist, sexual harass. Like, nah, we ain't talking about that. Because I got a list of bombers who, quote unquote, have been canceled, but they still eating. Kanye, do y'all understand how many years I have tried? I don't, I don't block anybody on, on, on Twitter. I don't block anybody. I won't give anyone the satisfaction of knowing that I can't deal with them. But I'll mute a motherfucker real quick. And the only person that I have muted on Twitter has been Kanye. I don't even want to see anything more about him. But guess what? I can't. Because the Bama, every album, he running for president. The Bama just signed a lucrative deal with Gap. He's got a lucrative deal with Adidas. How has Kanye been canceled? This man is the same man who a few years ago said that slaves, they volunteered for that. It was a choice for them to be enslaved. Huh? Mel Gibson. Hello? Where, when did that cancellation happen? Because this motherfucker got a new movie coming out where it's a hurricane in Puerto Rico. <laughs> like, yo, you feel me? Passion of the Christ. Apocalypto. This bama been making movies for over a decade after racist comments, anti-Semitic comments. Huh? Come on. Where was that cancellation? Where, where, I'm sorry, did I, I must have missed that one. Louis C.K. This man is admitted to pulling his joint out in parties in front of women and making an uncomfortable situation. He's not canceled. His show didn't, he just stopped making his show. If Louis C.K. wanted to go on tour right now, guess what? He would make millions upon millions of dollars. Hell, people that I rock with, Michael Vick. Mike went to federal prison for a crime. Like, he actually committed a crime. And then he came back and got his job back. Came back to the NFL. Think he made a Pro Bowl. Now he's an analyst. And he killed dogs. Electrocuted dogs. He didn't even get canceled. And don't get me started on Ben Roethlisberger. Greg Hardy. We could go down the line. Down the list. There is no such thing as cancel culture. Y'all Bama's keep on acting like it's the boogeyman. You don't, no one gets canceled. Don't kill anyone. Don't have, don't rape people. Don't have sex with children. Dog, they ain't even asking that much. This shouldn't be like a tough task. If you, the, the president admitted to grabbing women by the vagina. Yo, dig this. The president wasn't the president at the time. He was elected after this video was released to the public. And get this. The person he said it to, Bully Bush, he got fired. And within that first term, he got another job. <laughs> he apologized and has a syndicated television show now. Slim, you cannot get canceled. Stop it. I don't understand why so many people are enamored with this idea that, yo, we, if you say something wrong, like this is what people mistake. You're not getting canceled. You understand what I'm saying? You can, you can say whatever you want. You could do almost whatever you want. Again, legally, you can. 
that does not prevent people. So there is no such thing as canceling. No one is canceled, but people can stop fucking with you. That's 100% allowed. Alabama's love the free market. So if I'm doing something wrong and people didn't decide not to put money in my pocket or not spend time or invest in me, that's not, that's not cancel culture. That's me not rocking with you. That's free choice. Isn't it funny how the people who always scream about liberty and America and the Constitution, anytime they get uncomfortable, anytime their feelings become hurt, they then throw the biggest tantrum and they and they start making excuses. You love the free market when it works for you, but when it doesn't, oh man, it's cancel culture. Two people who are two of the biggest, I don't know how you want to say it, two of the people who are in the in the sights, I suppose, of this kind of quote unquote cancel culture wars. It's it just strikes me as odd. And that, let me let me illustrate this for you guys a bit, right? Two of the biggest, you know, people who are crying the most, the people that cry the biggest about cancel culture, two Fox News analysts or television talk show hosts, Tucker Carlson and Laura Ingram, right? And this is how you know the whole thing is fake. All of it's nasty. It's just a ploy. And, you know, start thinking for your own, man. This is how you know it's nasty. I'm 37 years old, so let's rewind, let's say like 2000, 2002, maybe 2003. At that time, the biggest name on Fox News, the biggest name in cable news was Bill O'Reilly, right? Fox News, this is, I mean, they were already in, they were already the most popular name in news and, you know, whereas they've just continued to build upon their success. But I remember vividly, Bill O'Reilly, and it was the first time that I can recall. I'm not saying it was the first time it happened, because I'm sure it wasn't, but it was the first time that I could recall, okay, someone with a large platform, an individual like Bill O'Reilly with a large platform, telling his audience to weaponize their spending power or just to weaponize their displeasure. And when I'm when, when I'm referring what I'm referring to is ludicrous. Ludicrous at the time was at his rapping peak, right? Now we talking about ludicrous, right? Shout out to ludicrous. This is no disrespect to the brother. Very nice rhymer. You understand? I love the Fast and Furious movies. So, you know, but but he's innocent. Like dog, like n- not threatening in the slightest. We talking about ludicrous, okay? We'll do the real funny videos, the comical songs. Like, again, the least threatening rapper maybe ever, or at least one of them. No disrespect to his rhyming, because he could rap. I'm not trying to make it like I'm disrespecting the brother, but Slim, come on. Ludacris, this is a peak rapping Ludacris, right? So every time he dropped, double, triple platinum sales. Like, he was huge, huge. But he wasn't on the, man, I got shot 12 times. He wasn't on this, I sold drugs. He wasn't on none of that. Pepsi decides to make Ludacris a lucrative kind of a endorsement, sign him to a lucrative endorsement deal, which made sense, right? This is Ludacris. Rap was huge at the time. Ludacris is friendly. He's funny. 
He's got, you know, all the things that you would want in a salesman as a as, as someone to pitch your 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 soda or whatever from Chicago pop, whatever. Bill O'Reilly, for some odd reason, was like, nah, we good. We don't want Ludacris as, you know, the face of Pepsi. He wasn't even the face, but just any he they didn't want him, you know, associated with that brand. So Bill O'Reilly went on this super, super popular show. It was like, mail, email, write Pepsi and demand that they sever ties with Ludacris or stop drinking the product. And guess what happened? His power, his might was strong enough. His fan base was that rabid enough that they did that and Pepsi dropped Ludacris. Like, weeks, maybe months within their new endorsement deal. All of these people, like, Again, Tucker Carlson is older than me. Laura Ingram is older than me. I would love for anyone to show me them being upset at the quote-unquote cancellation of Ludacris because it didn't happen. The same thing people are upset with the football team in D.C. or with the Indians in Cleveland or whatever the case may be, right? People always get up in arms about quote-unquote cancel culture in 2020. They were the same people who had no problem with it, or maybe they were advocating for it just 18, 16, 15 years ago. That's how you know this whole thing is fake, bro. People are trying to get you so riled up, and they're trying to sow division. And we're doing it over a football team? We're doing it over a TV show? Someone saying ridiculous comments on a podcast that's what got y'all bad mistake someone's getting canceled stop it we should be smarter than this man it's 2020 we should be smarter than this it's a ploy tucker carlson is on fox news he's the biggest name since bill o'reilly on that network and now he's fighting the fight against cancel culture and nobody finds it odd that just 20 years ago, they were the first ones on this large scale to fight to get someone kicked. Ludicrous. Come on, Joe. Come on. Nobody gets canceled nowadays. But people hold you accountable. We talked about this a few episodes ago. And speaking of accountability. Hello, Deshaun Jackson and Steven Jackson. My God, man. You can't, I can't tell you how disappointed I was this week, bro. I can't tell you. Deshaun Jackson, let's get Deshaun Jackson. Let's, I don't want to say get him out the way first, but let's start with Deshaun Jackson. Slim. First off, let's make this perfectly clear. And we've said this time and time again on this show. Before the social uprising, just, just out of basic decency, bro. We can't bring racism, anti-Semitism, homophobia, xenophobia, misogynistic behaviors, transphobia, all of that. Any hate that you may have, dogs, we, it's either leave that shit alone or just get the fuck on and be an enemy, be an adversary. It don't make any sense. You can't, fi- you can't be screaming and fighting for equality 
while then sharing bigotry in your heart. Slim, you understand how fucking dumb you gotta be to think that you're quoting Adolf Hitler and then not? Like, Deshaun Jackson thought he was quoting Adolf Hitler. Hello? One of the most, in this day and age, in this society where we live, where people think that the Confederate Army or some people who need to be honored, we all, everybody, unless you are the, the lowest, the created, the lowest of the low, but there's almost universal agreement in the fact that Adolf Hitler is one of the worst motherfuckers who's ever breathed air on this planet. Slim. Mussolini won't even hard enough for Adolf Hitler. Think about that. Hitler was running around with Mussolini for a few years. He was like, hold on. Fuck this dude. He ain't really, he ain't hard like me. Mussolini was too weak for Adolf. Dog, hear me. <laughs> you understand? Deshaun Jackson thought he was quoting one of the most vile, evil people ever. And he was wrong. He was wrong. It's not canceling. If the Philadelphia Eagles are like, you know what, Deshaun, I'ma holla at you. We good. That's not being canceled. That's someone holding you accountable. There is a difference. Deshaun Jackson, if he loses his job, and I'm not saying that he will, but I'd probably think that he probably should right now. You got to set a tone. People look, we, we, we live in a world, right, where everyone specifically now wants to talk about the importance of sports. Professional sports means so, you listen to people rant and rave about the beauty and, and how sports brings us together and how it's a great part of civil pride and all this other stuff. And then you have people doing stuff like this. Decide somebody needs to learn a lesson himself and others. You can't just say stupid stuff like that and think that Batman's going to be like, oh man, all right, you apologize. I'll forgive you. That's cool that Julian Edelman forgives him. That's cool. That's cool if Julian Edelman and Sean Jackson head down to DC, go to the Holocaust Museum and the you know, Blacksonian, and they do that, and that's dope. And if they influence others along the way, that's cool. But I got a home, I, one of my closest homeboys, Jewish. And if he was like, man, fuck Deshaun Jackson, you know what? I'd be like, yeah, I feel you. Everybody doesn't need to be kumbaya. Now, I believe that the Eagles, like, and you know what? Let's, let's, let me make this one real quick thing, and we're going to pivot real quick. Because it was nasty. It was super nasty how quick Bamas were ready to throw Riley Cooper's name in the mix. Yes, the Eagles, they have done dumb shit before. And it doesn't take a long, you don't need to have the best memory to, to pull up Riley Cooper's name. That's a precedent that that organization has made. And if they decide to break with that president, precedent, excuse me, then they're going to have to answer questions. Cool. But let's not act like people can't change. Okay? Like, dog, that was so nasty how people would hear what Deshaun Jackson said. And before anybody criticized them, they were like, hey, remember Riley Cooper? 
Like, nah, Joe, come on. Come on. Let's be adult about a situation. People would then do, and then on the opposite side, people were bringing up Drew Brees. And that's when you, again, illustration, example, exhibit, exhibit J. You feel me? This whole thing is fake. Dog, if you truly believe in equality, you have to rock with it 24-7. There can't be any exceptions. Because there is no exception when it comes to equality. You feel me? Either you with it or you not. But don't act like you only with it when it comes to you. Because what you end up doing, Stephen Jackson, is that you give a legitimate leg to stand on for all of these nasty, bad faith actors who exist now. And they just come running out of the woodwork. They come running out of the dark like roaches. Y'all saw it. As soon as Deshaun Jackson said his thing, Bamas were looking around. Who's going to say anything? Who's going to condemn it? Nobody did. They came running out of the woodworks. And then when Steven Jackson doubled down in support of Deshaun, then even more than Bamas came out. We have to be smart. If the, what are you fighting for? That's the question. What are you fighting for? Are you fighting for you? Are you fighting for, because you fighting for yourself, fighting for your folk, that's not equality. It's not. And if that's not what you're fighting for, cool. Just say it. But don't come up here acting like you're fighting for equality and we all want to be together and we're fighting and if you're not with us, you're against us and all this other stuff and then you quoting Hitler. And there's not even a real quote. And Steven Jackson, God damn, bro. I was, I literally had it, it was like maybe, I don't know. It's when the George Floyd thing really started popping off. It was when Michael Thomas called out Drew Brees. And I remember Steven Jackson's response and I tweeted, I was saying, yo, Steven Jackson is using this moment. I don't want to say using it because he was truly invested, but this was like a star making moment for him. He and Matt Barnes have the super dope podcast, the all the smoke podcast. Matt Barnes is breaking stories about players not wanting to go to the bubble. And like uh, they, those two guys, Stephen Jackson specifically in this moment, they were doing so well building their brand, right? While then also using their voice for good. And then just like that, just like that, threw it all away off of hate and ignorance. Come on, Joe. Th- this should not be hard. You, c- you cannot be running your mouth disrespecting our Jewish brothers and sisters specifically in this moment when yo I don't know how much y'all been paying attention look at the hate crimes look at the percentage of hate crimes that have been affecting our Jewish brothers and sisters during this moment during this this four years this this era if you will look at the number of places of worship that have been defaced during the same four year stretch You look at the number of hate crimes that our Jewish brothers and sisters have had to endure 
Like, we need all the allies we can get. And guess what? The people who are causing harm to our Jewish brothers and sisters are the same people oftentimes who are causing harm to us. And this is the moment. And you want to spit this type of nastiness? Come on, Joel. We got to be better. We all have to be better. And Steven Jackson says this, and the bad faith actors come up, and they use this as an opportunity first. Where was this person? Why didn't this person say something? And they are now using this one opportunity. The one time they actually have something to grasp, they milk that motherfucker dry. And that's what you've seen this week. So not only did Steven Jackson make a fool out of himself, not only did Deshaun Jackson make a fool out of himself, not only did Steven Jackson cost or significantly damage his brand and his earning potential, and integrity in many circles. But then you feed these nasty, evil people legit ammunition. Oh, so much momentum that we had, bro. And and then he doubled and tripled down on it. And you just think like, man, they using this against what you genuinely are fighting for. And you don't even know it. You don't even know it. Look, whomever employs Steven Jackson, if they wanted to cut ties, that's not cancellation. That's accountability. You say something dumb, you do something dumb. You do something that can affect anybody who associates themselves with you, their integrity or their bottom line. You are putting yourself in position to, to lose a job. Dead ass. There's no other way around it. Deshaun Jackson. If the Eagles release you, cut you, whatever, that's not you being canceled. Somebody else will sign you. Somebody will sign you. No, I don't even know if football is going to happen this year. You know what I'm saying? Nobody's going to cancel Deshaun Jackson. As long as Deshaun Jackson can run like that, he'll be playing football somewhere. Look how many people are still talking about Antonio Brown. But if you get released, that's not a cancellation. That's accountability. We all should be held accountable for our words and actions. That's not something to be scared about. That's the reality. That's that's what's being that's that's being an adult. Hold me accountable for everything that I do. But the people who are the biggest proponents right now, the people who are screaming the loudest and trying you to be scared or telling everyone to be scared about cancel culture, they're the same ones who started this. These are the rules of engagement that you wrote. You can't be chilling with Bill O'Reilly. You can't, you can't employ Bill O'Reilly in the early 2000s and see someone ludicrous from fucking Fast and Furious lose his job or lose an endorsement deal with Pepsi because people weaponized their voice and their dollars and they threatened to ban or to, to boycott, excuse me, and then get mad when people 20 years later like, yo, we're going to boycott Goya. Huh? That's like going playing pickup, right? And we've all experienced this before. You play pickup. And we're like, hey, man, we ain't calling nothing. You know, this is flagrant, right? Everybody understands that. Sometimes you don't even have to say that. But the person who comes up and saying, hey, we're not calling anything. 
two minutes into the game, calling a hand check foul. And you looking at him like, hold on, brother, what? That's what this is. You can't birth this cancel culture idea. And then 20 years later, start screaming about it, saying, oh, my God, it's the boogeyman. Nah, Joe. Call that shit out, man. Stop falling for the bullshit. And start standing. Standing tall. If you are about equality, be about it. Not just when it's convenient. Dog, I could do the whole show on this right now. This joint blew the first part of my week. I, I couldn't believe all this was happening. I was like, yo, are you serious? But, hey, man. <laughs> this is the days of our lives, right? I want to hear from you guys. And dead ass, seriously. If you can name someone who has been canceled, I want to hear him. Again, not Bill Cosby, not Harvey Weinstein, not, not Jeffrey Epstein, not someone who has committed, committed a crime, okay? Let me know someone who's been canceled and just been burp, erased off the earth. Let me know. I'm all ears. I want to know. Email me that answer, please. I'm asking. I'm begging. Email me that answer at quarterlyreport at gmail.com or tweet that answer. A quarterly show q u a r t e r l e e show all right guys again i could do the whole damn show there but i'm not going to i'm gonna head to the gridiron for our second topic this week second quarter now last week during the show uh i kind of hinted at the fact that i wasn't going to be able to answer um many of the questions that i had for last week's stoppage time segment you know i answered one but, you know, the show was close to two hours long last week. I try not to get it. I try not to have the shows that long, but definitely not two hours or more. So I kind of teased that this week I would talk about one question that I received from Curtis from Fort Washington asking me my thoughts on Cam Newton and if the marriage with the New England Patriots will work. And I have to tell you, I'm a bit tall. Ain't this a bitch? Ah. Damn, I should have known your ass was coming with how hot it's been the last few weeks. Well, hello, Arma. Yes, it's been hot as home for you humans. There are other things on my mind recently. Oh? Like what? Well, I was checking my portfolio. Wait, wait, wait. You have a stock portfolio? Of course I do. I have to see which souls of mine that I've bought for paying dividends. Oh my goodness. You know, it can be fairly stressful. You know, you always have your sure things. The Bezos, the Zuckerbergs, and McConnells. But I'll tell you what, I've been pleasantly surprised with one of my most recent purchases. You know what? Let me stop you right there. I don't even want to know. Please let me tell you. No. How about with havoc and carnage and candy corn on top? Ew. Hell nah. Hey, leave my home out of this. <laughs> you know what, devil? Who do you want me to play devil's advocate for this week? I want you to tell me why Cam Newton and the Patriots will work. Huh. Okay, well, the argument is simple, honestly. Cam Newton is a former MVP quarterback. Cam Newton is 31, 31 years old. Cam Newton won the MVP like, what, five, six years ago. How soon we forget not just 
how well he played that one season, but how unique and how dominant Cam Newton was. Also, Cam Newton has been a phenomenal quarterback in the past without elite receiving weapons. What was the big knock on the Patriots last year? Oh, man, you know what? They, they can play defense and they can run the ball, but, man, they're skill possession uh, players. They're just not elite. They don't have elite outside weapons. When has Cam had elite outside weapons outside of Steve Smith? Like Carolina built their entire their entire run with Cam Newton on a running game and great defense. And shout out to Ron Rivera. This is not a knock on him. But even Ron Rivera's biggest fan, Ron Rivera's wife would look you in your eye and be like, you know what, my honey, he's not as good as Bill Belichick. Imagine Josh McDaniel, a creative offensive mind, a guy who you have to imagine. You have to imagine the creative offensive minds when they see what the Kansas City Chiefs have done, when they see what the Baltimore Ravens have done, when you see what Seattle has done. Just the threat of a quarterback. Hell, before Andrew Luck was hurt, when you see what the Colts were able to do, when you see what the Eagles are able to do with Carson Wentz when he is healthy, the best quarterbacks, the best offenses, the most potent offenses are the ones with quarterbacks who have the ability, the ability to hurt you with the arm and the leg. And who is the guy who ushered in this new era of dual threat quarterbacks? Because in one RG3, it wasn't Russell Wilson. It was Cam. Cam, like, we got to understand, yes, he has been injured. You want to know who else has been injured recently? Ben Roethlisberger. And people are running around thinking, hey, man, watch out for the Steelers. You want to know who else has been injured recently? I just said, Carson Wentz. Like, Tom Brady's been dealing with injury. Like, you know, we got to stop this thing, right? Cam may not be what he once was but which quarterback is and the and if you're going to gamble if you're going to place a bet why not place it on the 31 32 year old quarterback former mvp with a chip on his shoulder the size of the sun look man you are you confident in brian hoyer are you confident in jared stenham who are you confident in because i know who i would place my bet Look at the quarterbacks in the AFC East and tell me which one scares you. All four of them. Who's the guy who scares you? Josh Allen is a D minus Cam Newton. And he's the only one who's had any type of success as a professional. Come on, man. Sometimes we overthink things. Sometimes we overdo. We overanalyze. This is a slam dunk. It's a low gamble, low risk high reward cam newton is a former mvp think of the former quarterbacks who are playing right now who have won an mvp title hell drew Brees has never won an mvp drew Brees. we talking about tom brady we talking about aaron Rodgers, lamar jackson you understand uh obviously pat mahomes the list it ain't that long matt ryan it ain't that long so if you could get Cam for a guaranteed 1.5 with the chip on his shoulder and he hasn't played for a year and you're not asking him to do something that he's unfamiliar with, Cam Newton is used to carrying offenses by himself. 
I don't think he's going to have to do that in New England because he has offensive minds who have already shown that they can get the job done. Matt Castle, Tom Brady, right? Jimmy Garoppolo, they're proven. They're proven. And so too is Cam. So this is a slam dunk. Come on, devil, step your game up, baby. Hmm. Very compelling argument, Armand. By the way, Mickey Mouse. Huh? <laughs> Mickey Mouse? What? That's the soul I was telling you about earlier. With Disney World reopening, you should see the disaster about to take place. Good luck ever going back outside. <laughs> that guy, his ass is gone, man. Hopefully, he takes a heat wave with him. Anyway, you know, I'm able to argue or make the argument for Cam to New England because, I mean, of course, that's an easy argument to make. They, like, former MVP quarterbacks don't just come flying in and out. Like, usually, typically, and we talked about this in the previous shows, former franchise quarterbacks like Cam Newton, they don't become available. It just very rarely happens. Now, there's some people who will automatically jump to, oh, well, he's black, so that's the reason it happened. The Panthers are a bad organization. Whatever the case, I'm not willing to take it there personally. If that's how you carry it, bong. Do you? I'm not I'm not saying that you're wrong per se. I'm just saying I'm not necessarily. I think it's been a perfect storm of events that led to Carolina letting go of Cam. Mainly, and this is the biggest reason why I don't I'm not as confident as a lot of other people that Cam to New England will work. And the only reason why I'm cautious is because of the injury history. Like it ain't like Cam Newton just had one thing. It's not like Cam Newton, you know, had one year where he had to deal with or just two years back to back where he had to deal with injuries. Cam has been beaten up his entire career. Like you look at the way the the Panthers used him and used his body. It, it's almost reminiscent as God bless the dead. And I don't like making comparisons because like this, because typically black quarterback to black quarterback comparisons, I find very, very lazy. But when you look at the way the Panthers used up Cam Newton in his body, it is reminiscent to me, at least, of, again, God bless the dead, Steve McNair. Like, I remember Jeff Fisher when McNair and Eddie George were both young, and they ran Eddie George, they ran him completely out, out of the league. He just had nothing left. And then they, it was almost like they had a eureka moment, like, oh, my gosh, our quarterback, who was a Heisman finalist, who we took in the first round, he's actually really good. And by the time they realized that Steve McNair wasn't just this running quarterback, but he was like an elite quarterback, they had already almost ran him through it, the ringer. Like, there's only so many times you can ask your quarterback to run on third and one or fourth and goal. And Cam was truly elite, like, like um, maybe the greatest short yardage threat ever in football and i'm not the first person to say this isn't groundbreaking this isn't a hot take right many of the people who you all probably look and watch and listen to when it comes to nfl analysis they've said the same thing cam newton was such a phenomenal short yardage weapon and the panthers just used him up and although he's only 31 and although 
he was essentially able to use much of last season to recoup and rest and rehabilitate, hopefully. You just don't know how much miles are on that body. And you don't know how much more hits he can take. You look at some of the passes he's been throwing recently, man, or he's not recently, but his most recent passes, it's almost like he's gun shy. I mean, there's only so many hits a person can take. And we talk about, bro- you, we've talking about brutal hits that Cam Newton has taken. So yes, he's 31 years old. So if I, if I can put myself in the mindset of the Panthers organization, I'm completely overhauling my front office, or not my front office, but my coach. I'm getting a college coach, and I give, I'm giving him security. I wanted this guy so badly, and there was such a, a race for his talents that I broke the bank and gave him not just money, but the years. He, this is his shop. This is going to be run the way he wants it done. So I can imagine a college coach getting his first NFL head coaching gig, being like, you know what? I want to start from scratch. I want to build this team in my in my vision. And although I have a franchise quarterback, I have a franchise quarterback who has been injured, not just one year, but multiple seasons. Just look at the, in the last five years, look at the injuries that Cam Newton has had to deal with. Cam Newton was in a car accident, bro. Like this, like it's such a unique situation. But because it's so unique, I'm not surprised that the team that jumped all over it is the smartest team in the NFL. I would not be surprised if Cam Newton and the Patriots was a match made in heaven. I wouldn't be. But I'm not so ready to anoint this as the best decision ever in football. I still have significant questions. And all of the questions, this isn't about Cam and his personality isn't about Cam in the city of Boston. It's not about Cam and his ability to read a new offense. It's none of that. I have no issues with any of that with any of the parties involved. That's how much respect I have for Bill Belichick and the shop he runs and the man and the player that Cam Newton is as well and the intellect of Cam Newton. All of my concerns, all of my questions come and stem from one thing and one thing only, and that's Cam Newton's health. And there's no way anyone, in my opinion, can know or feel but so confident in how this works out without answering any of those questions. I want to hear your guys' questions, though. Anything you guys want to talk about? Anything that you feel? Maybe you think I'm nuts for even possessing a little bit of doubt on Cam Newton's partnership with the New England Patriots. If you feel that way, if you want to challenge me, or if there's something that you haven't heard from me, Hit me up, email me at quarterlyreport at gmail.com or tweet the show at quarterly show. That's Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E show. All right, guys, you heard the horn. It is time for halftime this week. And halftime this week is a lot of crazy stuff going on in the world today. So many wild things happening. So, of course, I feel like it's my job, my duty to lend some advice. So we're going to step to the call center for the quarterly report hotline bling where we give some of the biggest names in sports and entertainment some advice to help them write their ship take a listen what's going on welcome to the quarterly report call center my name is armand lee we're here to answer any questions or any advice that you may have 
First up, what's your name? Where are you from? And what is your problem? Yeah, my name is August, or a lot of people call me Aug. I'm from New Orleans, Louisiana. And my question or concern comment is, a lot of my personal business has been made public recently. And it's pretty much my fault. But I did it so I can get exposure for my newest venture. And thus far, it really hasn't worked in my advantage. And it may possibly end up causing friction in people's homes that I love. Did I make the right choice in trying to flip a traumatic experience for myself into personal gain? August, August. I'll be damned if I call you August. Slim, I don't know what's going on in your head, dog. Actually, yeah, I do. You had a shot. Shout out to Hamlin. You're not throwing away your shot, brother. You saw it. You was like, yo, this is part of my album rollout. People been looking for you. You was hot. Like, like there's no denying you talented, Slim. But this was the shot that you decided to take. And no one is really talking about your music, brother. Everybody's talking about something that you did four or five years ago. And they looking at one of the most popular, powerful couples. And they looking at them crazy. Joe, the, the wildest thing to me is, August, you have a legendary song that goes like this. So don't come looking for love. Don't come looking for love. You can't be the bomber singing. Don't come looking for love. And then Jada got your nose all the way open. And look, it's Jada. You feel me? I understand. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? We all understand. But Joe, you talk about don't come looking for love. Love came knocking on your door, Slim. And you out here looking crazy. So while I understand why you made the decision you made, bro, hindsight is 2020. You want to be a man of integrity. If you want people to respect you for your music, Leave that silly, leave that silly shit, man, back for the kindergarten, man. Leave that shit alone, bro. If you want to be known for your music, let your music stand tall on its own. Not for these silly gimmicks, bro. All right, we've got time for one more call. Caller number two. This is the Quarterly Report Call Center. My name is Armand. Tell me what's your name, where you're from, and what is the issue that you need some advice with. Yeah, my name is Joe Fan, and I'm from Ashburn, Virginia. My favorite football team has decided to change their names because of the Twitter mob and outraged social justice warriors. And I'm trying to figure out how am I going to cope with my football team changing its name. Think of all the memories. I'll hang up and listen. Love the show. Well, thank you. Um, I have to be honest. I have tried, I have genuinely tried to see things from different perspectives, particularly as it stems from this name. I, as many of you all know, okay, I am a New York Knickerbocker fan. Okay, the Knicks stand for Knickerbockers. If you haven't a clue what Knickerbockers are, they're shorts. Trust me when I tell you, there is no name that can be worse than the Knickerbockers. Truly, the worst team name mascot are the New York Knickerbockers. I don't care about the name of the team. They could change the name to the New York Knights this second, and it would not matter to me at all. My perspective, my sensibilities are clearly different than a lot of you all, and I'm not judging you because of that. But I do not understand why people are so tied to names. 
there have been from since the beginning of time generations now people have had daughters and many of them have decided to become married and change their last name and you know what it's not really a big fuss i have so many memories at pg plaza really really good memories i was doing my thing back in the day baby i don't have any memories at the malls at prince george's but it doesn't bother me Yo, why is a name so such a big deal to you? I don't understand. I genuinely don't. If you are a child, sure, you get hung up on certain things that are inconsequential. The name of a football team, a football team who many of you all have been calling every calling them every name out of the book except for what they would used to be called. You aren't going to the games, you stop watching on television, you're calling the sports talk shows to disrespect them at every turn. And now all of a sudden, it's the memories. Those same memories were there last year when y'all weren't showing up. I don't get it. I, I, I genuinely do not get it. It's a name of a football team. Look around the world, just take a glance and realize how little this matters. Your memories, this is not back to the future. Your memories, the Polaroids, they're not going to fade away. They still exist. The team is the same, okay? Everything about them is the same except for their name. Call them Washington, call them the Burgundy and Gold, call them your favorite football team. It's the same thing. I'm sorry, y'all, I'm sorry, but damn that. I just don't get it. Hopefully you guys can work with my advice though. Thank you for your calls and remember, We'll be back here next time making sure that we answer every single issue facing you and your favorite celebrities and athletes. See you next time on the Quarterly Report Call Center. Seriously, though, uh, you know, I spiced some of that stuff up for, you know, entertainment purposes. Hopefully you guys enjoyed it. But the the core of the argument is the same. My favorite team, they are named after shorts. So... You know, when I see other adults complaining about their favorite team changing their names, I, I, I'm, I'm at a loss. You know, I don't get it. And this is not to dismiss anyone's feelings. I'm genuinely trying to understand, right? Uh, I, I put a tweet out not too long ago, but it basically was saying, yo, like, we're all different people. We all have different connection points, man. Some people are, they attach themselves to movies and music. Some people attach themselves uh, to friends. Some people attach themselves to vices. Some people make podcasts in their spare time. Yours truly. Um, but some people, they, they're attached to team names. So, and I get that, right? Different people, they have different connection points. I understand that. I'm not trying to be dismissive, but... I don't know why the name means so much. It's just a name, you know? And I've seen, we've all heard the, the, the Washington Post article cited at nauseum. Again, we talked about this last week. There are huge holes in the credibility of that poll, but whatever, whatever. Let's just say 90% of native indigenous people have no problem with the term Redskin. Let's just say that, boom. We have seen professional sports teams' names changed, right? With outrage and, I guess, kind of respectability, you know? Without any of the backlash. It's not too long ago that the Major League Baseball team, 
in Tampa were called the Devil Rays. As a Christian man, I promise you that less than 10% of Christians were upset at the name Devil Rays. Like, no one cared. No one. But they changed the name because they did not want Devil attached to their team name. Cool, right? Cool. That's what you want to change. And guess what? There was no backlash. Christians weren't, like, the people, you know, whatever. People weren't up in arms because they dropped devil from the, the rays. It, it, things were okay. Time went on, and people moved on because it's not that big of a deal. And I can hear some of y'all saying now, oh, well, you can't, you can't compare, uh, can't compare an expansion team to one of the most historic and proud franchises in NFL history. I get that. But y'all Bamas weren't going to the games. <laughs> you know, don't talk about the history when just last year, y'all were acting like y'all didn't want the team. So many people who are now upset because the team is changing names, right? We're screaming about how there's a level of indifference. I don't care about, the, I don't care about the skins, man. It's, a, it's, it's Nats and Caps town now. Huh? So what changed? Because somebody took your toy away? It's like, again, I'm not trying to be dismissive. I'm truly not. But dog, y'all got to work with me here. Okay? You're going to be okay. You're going to be Knickerbockers. Imagine having a team called the Knickerbockers. If they changed it, I promise you, I would not care. And I don't think anyone would. Because it's a team name. And here's, here's kind of a proof that nobody truly cares. If this team in two years ends up winning 13 games, goes 13-3 and three and goes to the NFC Championship game, the, the Saturday or the Friday before that game, I doubt very seriously there will be a large number of people complaining about the team's name. And I guarantee you, if they ever were to host an NFC Championship game, those stands will look a lot different than they did last year. Just my guess. But whatever, I digress. I'm taking way too long on a topic that I'm sure you all have heard at nauseum. Whatever you feel currently about this, you're going to feel the same way whether I, whether you agree with me or disagree with me because that's just the way things are nowadays. People don't care about any perspective other than their own. So, you know, whatever. Y'all want to get mad at a name? Go right ahead. Just wear a damn mask, please. Anyway, halftime adjustments have been made. We are about to start the second half off strong with my guest this week, Bullets Forever contributor, Kevin Broom. All right, guys, joining me this week, a uh, friend of the program, Kevin Broom, contributor for Bullets Forever, has been on the show before in the past. Kevin, thank you so much for joining me this week on the Quarterly Report. Hey, thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, one of the reasons to kind of do some window dressing real quick. One of the reasons I started this podcast, obviously I'm a, a huge lover of the NBA product, but I felt like, you know, there really wasn't uh, the discourse um, on the, 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 the league in general just wasn't really giving me what I wanted. You know, I love LeBron as much as the next person, but I get sick of always hearing about LeBron James whenever the NBA is discussed. And now with the restart happening, I find like there's so many interesting subplots to the NBA season that oftentimes gets ignored. And this time, specifically, I'm talking about the Utah Jazz. Um, there's been a lot of reporting recently 
about, I guess, a uh, brewing tension, I suppose, between their most their two high most high profile players, Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert. I'm the biggest Rudy Gobert fan who's not a Utah Jazz fan or a French citizen. I love Gobert's game. In my opinion, he's one of the best players in the league. When I say best, I'm not talking top 20, top 15. I'm talking like 8 to 12 range. So when I first found out that there was a potential conflict, I'm thinking, okay, this is an easy decision for Utah. You just, you know, you side with Gobert. He's the better player. Mm-hmm. And I was talking with a friend of mine who's from Utah. He, he and I, I'm curious to hear your your thoughts on this because he he presented a different position. Being I you know from Salt Lake City or living or being a Jazz fan, you you're not going to get a player with the appeal of Donovan Mitchell. So I can understand why there is such a connection with him. He's he's very charismatic. He's flashy, and he's young. He can develop into a better player. I don't want to be too hard on him. But when you look at it from that position, not just in X and O's, but then also, you know, fan ticket sales, et cetera. How would you handle this jazz, the potential situation that the jazz uh, seemingly are facing? Well, that's um, hmm. <laughs> that's an interesting question. So, I mean, you could just trade them both for LeBron. and that's not- <laughs> <laughs> um, So I, one, I, I don't think that Utah should be concerned themselves with ticket sales. That shouldn't be a factor. Right. Um, there's been lots of research. David Barry did some really good work on this right, showing right. that what sells is winning, yes. right? So if you want it in the home market, so Donovan Mitchell being like a star, being a saleable star helps ticket sales on the road, right. but doesn't help at home as much as people think. I mean, you can have a popular fan, but if you win, I mean, you can have a popular player, but if you win, you're you're going to sell right. tickets, right? right? So the thing to do is to build a winner. And yes. when it comes to that, I, I agree with you completely. Rudy Gobert is head and shoulders the better, more impactful player. He's an elite defender. He's crazily hyper efficient on offense. You know, right. converts cr- around the basket. He's he's a good. He's a terrific screen role player. It would be great if he could shoot from anywhere you know, outside of three feet, but you know, that, that ability to set a great screen, which he does, and then roll to the basket and catch the ball in traffic and finish in traffic. That's really valuable. And he does that extremely well. So, you know, with Mitchell, how can I say this? He, he's good. I like him. I like his game. I love watching him play. He's exciting to watch. Right. But I think that there are you can find players to do that. You know, for if you, sure. If you give somebody so like he scores thirty-four points per hundred possessions, and he does it with a usage rate of what about thirty percent? Right. <laughs> and that's at below average efficiency. You know, yeah. a little bit below average. And so th- you can find guys who can put up a lot of points on on if you give them enough usage. You know. It, where guys get really valuable is when they're like high efficiency and high usage, you know, right. high, high usage and high efficiency. That's valuable. That's where you get like, you talk LeBron, about Harden's, yeah. Yeah. LeBron Harden, like Michael Jordan back in, in the day, Magic Johnson, Larry right. Bird, that those, you, you make the list of the great players in the NBA in NBA history, they're high usage and high efficiency. Right. Right. And, 
guys with average efficiency and or below average efficiency and, and high usage, you know, you can find those kinds of guys. Yeah, it's funny. It's, when I was talking to him, it kind of, I don't know, highlighted a, a blind spot that I may have. Right. As a Nick fan, my entire adult life, we have prioritized the flashy guy over the productive guy. Right. It was uh Sprewell over Camby. It was uh, Marbury over David Lee. Uh, Mello over Tyson Chandler. I, I can go on and on and on. But I, I do also feel like, and again, because I, I agree with what you're saying, but I do feel like I may, may be, exist because I, as a Knicks fan, we've always gone to the flashy guy. Yeah, yeah. If, if I'm from Salt Lake City and I don't ever get guy, even – you know how great Stockton and Malone were, right? Even Darren Williams, like they they weren't like they weren't the type of player that Donovan Mitchell seems to be. And I'm not talking about obviously productivity because Donovan is a long way away from Stockton, God knows. Mm-hmm. But but there is a certain kind of I don't know presence that if you're from Salt Lake, there has to be an understanding that they know there's certain types of players that they're just not ever going to get, and maybe just by I don't know, proximity because he's playing on these very, very successful teams. I do understand the kind of attachment that so many jazz fans do have with Donovan Mitchell. Yeah, absolutely. And so, and one thing really that's important, I think to point out too, or to, to keep into the, in, you know, the forefront of the discussion is <clears throat> one, this is just his third season. He's Correct. 23 years old. And uh, the prime for players like Mitchell is usually around like 25, 26, 27. You know, that, that's when he, he's probably going to peak around, like I said, 25, 26. And then he'll maintain that peak that's probably yeah. until like 28, 29, you know, getting up into 30 years old. So he's, he's got a good future ahead of him. Um, so that's number one. Number two, he's gotten better every year. You know, sure. he, he is getting better. He is improving. And so that's the one sort of wild card to throw in there. And that is that, you know, Gobert is likely to be, you know, he's only 27 himself. Right. Or in, in, so, but he's likely to be entering the decline portion of his career sooner than Mitchell will be, you know, there your window is probably the next five years with Mitchell. It's probably eight. So that's, that's one thing to think. And now, Mitchell needs to improve quite a bit just yeah. to, to, you know, to where Gobert is, because like you say, Gobert is really one of the top players in the league. Right. And if he played in say, you know, New York or LA, LA. or <laughs> right. Boston or something, Philadelphia, like that. you know, like, you know, the Embiid Gobert comparisons, you know, obviously Embiid shoots the ball more, but yeah, if, if, if Gobert played in Philadelphia, I think that people would look at that comparison a little bit differently. Yeah, and I think he also suffers a little bit because he's he does you know he seems a little like a, you know lumbering at times that kind of right. thing. So right. he doesn't necessarily look the the like he's doing a lot, but he's really really effective. Yes, that's what matters. You know. Yep. Once again, guys, I'm joined by a friend of the program, Kevin Broom. Make sure you follow him on Twitter. He's at Broom underscore Kevin. He's the creator of the PPA statistic, which is a super dope thing altogether, and a contributor for bullets forever and you know some of you all may be listening and like why are you asking a guy from bullets forever about the utah jazz don't worry we're going to talk about the wizards right now yeah. um uh, it, it's i, I want to make sure i'm very clear to start i am in no way being um sending negative shots toward 
Tommy Shepard. I think um, what he's done, I mean, he's gone, he, he's taken a job that literally had no resources, was one of the worst run organizations for close to two decades. So, and, and he's done, you know, I think he's made, I don't even know if he's, he's made nice moves, you know what I mean? But mm-hmm. I, I look at it like you, you're buying a, a, an old school car that needs so much work to be done. And Tommy Shepard fixed the AC, which is very important. And he's bought new tires, but they weren't new, but they were like repaired tires. Like he has done a, a decent job getting the car to the ultimate destination. But when I see all the praise heaped upon him, I to me, there's a part of me that looks like look at it, looks at it, and like you know, it feels as if much of what Shepard has done is just kick the can down the road to the end of next season. Mm-hmm. And I fear that there's so much on the line for next season, this upcoming season for the Wizards, that I just don't necessarily have the optimism or the 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 high praise for Shepard because I don't necessarily know how good next season is going to go for them. I'm wondering for someone who comes to the team and knows it much better than myself, uh, am I reading that wrong? Is there more optimism for Shepard or does this kind of feel like we're just delaying the inevitable? Yeah, so <clears throat> I, I'm much more where you are on this in, in that if, if it was me, you know, my ch- well, okay, let me back up. First of all, when we talk about the Wizards being poorly run for the previous, well, 16 years that Ernie Grunfeld was the general manager before him, it was, uh, you know, Michael Jordan and Michael Jordan's handpicked management team. Before that, it was Wes Unseld. Right. So it's been a long time since sure. we've had a really sharp executive. Uh, at right. the, the top. Our Ernie Grunfeld was supposed to be that guy. And um, I will say right off the bat, it looked pretty good because he managed to land Gilbert Arenas. Right, right. <laughs> that was a hell of a move. And then it was pretty much all downhill from there. <laughs> but one of the things to point out is that Tommy Shepard was his number two guy that entire time. He was right. there through all of it. Every misdraft pick, every time when you heard they're unanimous about picking this guy and he stunk, Tommy was in on all that, yeah. right? And so ultimately, he was not the guy who had the decision-making power. That was Ernie. And um, so since Tommy took the top job, within, he's, he's definitely shown a willingness to do business differently than, than Grunfeld did. For example, right. trading for second-round picks. Second-round picks, exactly. Second round yeah. picks. That's a big difference, and it's, it's a smart thing. I, back before, you know, a few years before Tommy um, got the job, um, I, I had a, a few com- I had conversations with him over the years. He's uh, I don't know if you've ever met him or talked to him, but he's no, a, I haven't. He was very friendly and accessible. I'm sure he's still friendly. He's just less accessible now. Yeah, right. <laughs> but much more, but much more accessible than his predecessor in just a short period of time. Like, he actually talks to people, so. Yeah, yeah, but I just meant like in terms of being able to oh, like, just a, a, a text message and say, yeah. hey, uh, what do you think about this? And then going I back see. and forth. Okay. Or, hey, I heard this weird story. Can you can you tell me about it? You know, that right. kind of thing. He's, he's he, he, not quite as accessible on that, with, like I said, and for good reason. But, um, sure. you know, we talked about second round picks and I shared my, my crazy theories with him about second round picks. And one of them being, that with with second round picks, they're low cost, essentially like very low cost bets with a chance of all kinds of different payoffs ranging from nothing 
which is probably, you know, a 50, 60% chance that you'll get essentially nothing out of it all the way up to, you might end up with like Hall a of superstar managed probably Mark Gasol, Gilbert Arenas, Carlos Boozer, you know, those kinds of players who are really, really good. And so my attitude towards them is if they're low cost, you know, where you're paying league minimum for three years, probably. And right. then after that, you have to pay a guy if he's good or you just cut him, you know. So you want more of those. Right. And instead of giving them away every chance you get because you think you have enough, the thing to do is to, to get them, pick guys that you that you like and bring them in. And if they don't work out, cut them and move on or cut them and sign them to your G League team. Right. And, um, try to develop them there. And, and then, you know, maybe you'll get something eventually. Um, but the, the thing to do if you have, you know, a low cost bets is make lots of them. Right. And some of them are going to hit. Yeah. So anyway, um, this is all a very long way of answering your question. Sounds <laughs> <laughs> good. Yeah. So my feeling on their strategy when it was clear that what their plan was was to reload, you know, for a single season while Wall was out and then make another run was, I, 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 don't, I don't like it. I didn't think that it was a good plan. I thought that they should trade off Beal, that they should, should have traded Bertans. Bertans, yeah. And that they should have gotten draft picks in young players and tried to rebuild around that. Now, the flip side of that is I, I can see the reasoning that they right. use, which is, that they're they're attached to wall period for the next three years right mm -hmm. and so whatever however good or bad he is you might as well take a shot because you know if you get a draft pick for example if they've gotten a couple first round picks this year those guys are all basically coming due for new contracts um, about the time that wall is up right exactly so Essentially, they could take a take a year to try to reload, reposition themselves, get a few more assets to um, add players for next season, give themselves some more cap flexibility so that they could. Um, when I say cap flexibility, I mean under the luxury tax. Right, right. Well, they could try to add a few more players and make a run next year. And if they're bad, or if it's not working out the way they'd hoped, or if Wall's just not as good as what they'd hoped, then they can trade Beal at that point and probably trade Bertans and then they're they're they've changed their time window for the rebuild. They're going to be rebuilding the last two years. Two of years war. for sure. And then, you know, maybe there's a, a smoother transition to being, you know, pretty good when wall retires um, or is departs at the end of Move his contract. On. Yeah. So, you know, I, I can see both sides of it. I, I would have just gone ahead and started the rebuild. Yeah. Um, and, you know, had a talk with Wall and said, "Look, we understand this is not what you what you want, but let's be realistic here." You know, as I I think you know, I wrote a piece for sure. Yep, this was May of 2019. I wrote a piece about players, all star level players, trying to return from two or more seasons of missing half their team's games because of injury. Right. Wall will have missed um, half of two seasons and all of a third. Right, and with the the third and with the third and final season of that being because of Achilles. Yeah. Right. And so the, the players coming back from that, that all-star level, they, they really lose a lot. Yeah. You know? And so best case, I think for, for wall, the best, most real, I mean, best case would be, he just comes back and somehow he's like the same. Does that skip a beat? Yeah. 
Now, <laughs> I don't think that's likely. I think the, the realistic best case is that he'll be average to a little better than average. And, you know, I, I don't think that's going to be enough for them to get a top three seed, top four seed in the East or to reach the Eastern Conference finals or to get to the finals, which is what I think they're hoping they can do. Yeah, it's 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 funny, man, because, you know, I, I've always kind of felt I mean, I felt like when it's weird it's last year is when they kind of quote unquote when they traded Otto, which feels like much longer than it was. But I felt like once you traded one of them of their kind of quote unquote big three, you had to trade all of them. And in the, when I hear you talk it out. It makes sense. I mean, like Brad is going to have value, significant value, no matter what. So you trade him now, you trade him last year, you trade him in a year or so. He's going to have more value. I my problem is if Bill if if next year doesn't go well, mm-hmm. Bill is obviously another year or so older, and yep. they make the decision, hey man, this isn't gonna work. He's not going to just want to go to any old team. Like he's going to then like I want to win. So then you already are kind of you've already shortened or hampered your leverage in getting the the most return because you know, the 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 the, the Knicks, the, they're not going to trade everything for Bradley Bill, knowing that he's not going to resign. It just feels as if they had a lot of leverage, mm-hmm. and they'll still have some, but it's just they haven't maximized it. And I guess looking at, from my perspective, looking at where the trajectory of this team is going, they kind of needed to make sure they got as much, as big of a return as they possibly could. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I think that some of what you and I are, are looking at, and I think our assessment of Beal is not the same as their assessment. That's true. That's true. And and I think that's also true of Wall. And I think that their assessment is that Beal is one of like the top seven to ten players in the league. Right. And I I don't agree with that. I don't think that's the case at all. I think he's probably in like he's like you know seventh through tenth best guard in the league. Right. Not the same. You know, there's a bunch yeah. of other, there's some there's some other players. So I would probably put him in my like top 20 players, top right, 25 right. maybe. But there's like a magnitude of difference. There's like when you talk about like the top seven players, you're talking about Giannis, Kawhi, LeBron, right. Steph Curry, theoretically, when he's healthy, you know, who knows? <clears throat> um, Harden. Um, what? That's five. I don't know. There's who a certain yeah, there's a certain tier guys who kind of like Durant when he's healthy. If he yeah, that's another thing. He's coming from an Achilles too. But yeah. yeah, but what we're talking about there are guys who having them on your roster makes them a championship contender. Anthony it's Davis, been, another yeah, one, right? right. Uh, it, well, it should be because Anthony Davis in New Orleans did not make for a championship <laughs> contender. You know? right. So, but if you get like one or two of these guys, you're at least going to be a really good team. You know, you put LeBron on your team. Instantly you know. changes everything. Yeah. So, and Beal, good as he is, is not that. He's, yeah. he's not at that level. He's a very good player, but he's right. not at that level. And I think that they kind of view, I think that they internally view him at that level. At least they, even if they don't, they make decisions and they behave in ways for they sure. Indicate that they that they do think of him at that level. So, yeah. Once again, guys, I'm joined by Kevin Broom. Make sure you follow him on Twitter. He's at Broom underscore Kevin. Uh, make sure you go to his website, KevinBroom.com, and he's a contributor for Bullets Forever. Uh, if you're in the DC area or if you love the team, I'm sure you are aware of the blog. But if not, 
just a fan of basketball, a fan of sports, smart sports dialogue, make sure you check out the blog, bulletsforever.com. And Kevin, I want to get you out of here with this last question. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the NBA is racing toward this bubble restart. Um, putting aside my personal feelings about the how smart of a uh, decision it is and the likelihood that it actually finishes, I do. I am interested in your thoughts on kind of how we haven't seen anything like this, right? Even in the two lockout shortened seasons before um, that just started later and guys kind of play themselves into shape Mm -hmm. this year. There's just been essentially a three month pause. I think if you were to have asked me before March 16th or whenever everything kind of shut down, I would have said, I I would have bet whatever money that I felt comfortable that the Milwaukee Bucks would at least make it to the NBA finals. Like I was confident that there wasn't any team Boston had presents a certain type of dilemma, whatever, but I was very confident in the way that the Bucks were playing and the continuity that they've had, and obviously Giannis, that they were going to at least make it to the finals, probably win the whole thing. You ask me now, I'm not confident in either of those two. I wouldn't bet anything on them. Um, I feel that this pause directly hurts their chances more than anyone. Uh, I'm curious, what do you what do you expect from uh, this restart, if it does happen, and do you feel that the Bucks, uh, their chances at winning a championship have decreased significantly? Um, I th- it's tough to know. Like, I well, have for to sure. Say, yeah. Say again. No, I'm saying I'm agreeing when you said it's tough. To know. I mean, this is just uncharted territory. Yeah, it's it's definitely tough to know. I mean, we basically had an off season, like yeah. in the middle of the season, right? And so we're we're getting, you know, best shape of my life 2.0 season. Uh, right now, you know, you got all the Wizards players coming back talking about, oh, I put on eight pounds of muscle, 10 pounds of muscle. You right. Know, it's so anyway, it's we, we get that before every training camp, every team does it. And we're probably getting the same thing all over the league. Um, my guess is that the odds are pretty much going to be as they were. I think the, the challenge that Milwaukee has is, you know, they were pretty, pretty much rolling. They were. You know, they had a nice rhythm. They would really figured things out. Right. And I sort of recapture that. But everybody else is in the same boat, too. You know, so my guess is that what we'll see is the the teams that were the best before will continue to be the best. Um, the teams that were I don't think we're going to see big shakeups, you know. Well, OK, but what I think we could see in the, you know, the eight game restart, especially because teams are sort of going to be playing their way into shape. Mm-hmm. And um, there's going to be a lot of minutes management to try to you know keep guys healthy, and right. th- that what we'll see is a little bit flatter um, records, uh, you know, across the board. I don't like. I don't. I'd be surprised if anybody went like eight zero. If the Bucks came right. in eight zero, my guess is they'll win like five or six games, something like that. And that kind of a, a lot of teams will be in that like three wins or five wins territory window. Yeah, for sure. You know, I would expect like the wizards could probably get, you know, a couple wins out of this, even though they're really, you know, that's probably about right. Even mm-hmm. though the weakest team, they'll probably win a couple games. Right. And, but I'd be surprised if anybody won more than more than six out of this. Yeah. It's, it's so, it's just so odd to kind of see it play out. Cause you know, like you said, like, I mean, I don't want to take anything away from Milwaukee. Giannis is, in my opinion, the best player in the league and was going to win an MVP. 
and Chris Middleton is having a phenomenal year. But when yeah. I look at kind of just I, the way I look at this is kind of almost like a pickup, like whatever this whatever this restart ends up becoming, I feel like team play continuity uh, system because it was just a kind of a halt. And some guys, I mean, I think I saw somewhere Middleton said he hasn't shot a basketball before, you know, the yeah. most, you know, cause he just, he didn't have a hoop at his house. So um, I feel like this kind of restart will just be like pickup and who has the best top tier players will end up winning. You know what I mean? So when I yeah. look at some, a team like Boston, I think Boston and the Clippers would probably be my bet because they just have a collection of, not necessarily the high, high tier players like the LeBrons or the Anthony Davises or the Giannis's, but mm-hmm. they just have a, a a depth of really, really talented guys. And at some point, it's just going to be like roll the ball out and let's play. Yeah, yeah, I I think that that's that's interesting. I I don't think I don't know. I I have a hard time seeing Boston getting past Milwaukee. I like Boston and right. I love Tatum and Brown, but. I don't. I just have a hard time seeing them get past the Bucks. The one thing with the Bucks is, you know, is if B- Budenholzer is going to be willing to to change his rotation a little bit. You know, he's right. throughout the regular season he does that thing that Jerry Sloan did years, right. ago, years right. ago, where he you know plays his like John Stockton was only getting like thirty minutes a game, certain minutes, yep. Yeah. Which is part of the reason why maybe he played like 20 plus years in the league, right? <laughs> great for basically all of them. Right. Um, you know, I, Giannis only plays like what, 31, 32 games, th- 32 minutes. minutes. Yep. So is he going to be able to push Giannis in the playoffs up to like 36, 38, 40 minutes, like the way say LeBron does, for example, Yeah. Uh, where, so he, you know, last year in the playoffs, he really wasn't willing to do that. So mm-hmm. it's interesting to see if he's he's willing to do that now. And I think it would be smart to do. I mean, Milwaukee's got some good depth as well, but it, were I they, I would want as many minutes of Giannis as I could get. Possible. Yes, exactly. Yes. Well, it'll be interesting to see. Uh, again, I'm not certain that it finishes, but we're all waiting um, and kind of, I'm sure, interested in seeing how this all plays out. Once again, guys, I've been joined by Kevin Broom. Make sure you follow him on Twitter. He's at Broom underscore Kevin, contributor for Bullets Forever, also creator of the PPA statistic. Kevin, thank you so much for joining me this week on the Quarterly Report. Thanks for having me. Anytime. Once again, I want to thank Kevin Broom. Make sure you guys check out his stuff on Bullets Forever. Really dope perspective, really intelligent writer. So a lot of stuff over there that you guys should most definitely check out. All right, guys, three quarters are now in the book. So, of course, that means we are down to our last and final quarter. Fourth Like most sports fans, we've all had dreams of maybe working, going to, or have spent hours sitting with your father, mother, uncles, grandfathers, whomever, watching, consuming the ESPN product, right? At some point, if you are a sports fan in America – there's been that time. For me, I vividly remember watching NFL primetime way back when on my father's lap, and we would watch Sunday evening watching the games, right? And, and we all have those moments. That There's something special about that brand, about that network, about that channel that, you know, kind of gives you a fond memory. But over the years, I really don't understand what ESPN is trying to do 
if ESPN knows themselves what they are doing. Because they're too often, it seems that they are so reactionary to things that they should truly be above. And that they are so concerned about a small portion, a small pocket of critics that they have had because, let's face it, as time has gone on, everything becomes politicized and there are always going to be people who look to profit off of complaining. That's just the way of the world. ESPN is no different. And because their critics have become louder, have become successful, you gotta give them credit. And we all know who I'm talking about. I'm not gonna name any names because I don't respect those people. But they have become profitable and their brand has increased despite the fact that no one really takes them that seriously. Right? They, they have a lot of money and they do have a larger and growing audience, but that's because ESPN continues to take the bait. And now, not only are they taking the bait, they are cutting their noses despite their faces. If you have listened to this podcast at any time, you can tell I don't take sports that seriously, despite the fact that my entire adult, well, most of my entire adult career or life, or my adult life, I have made a career out of sports production in some capacity. Like, this is how I make my money. This is how I earn a living. This is how I take care of myself and my family. Not this podcast. Hopefully that does happen at some point. Actually, you know what? I'm speaking into existence. It will happen. But outside of this podcast, this is, this is what I do for a living. So even with that being said, you can, if you've listened to this podcast for any amount of time, you realize that I don't really take sports all that seriously. Those are just my sensibilities. And because of that, listening to sports radio has become tiring as I have gotten older. There's a lot of reasons for it. I'm not the biggest sports fan. I don't love all sports. You know, I have my select few that I really like. And then I have the others that I really don't even pay attention to. Um, and because of that, listening to two to four hours of people just yell and scream and talk about things don't really matter. And oftentimes that they don't even pay attention to it just, you know, you get sick of it. One of the, I shouldn't say one of the, the one lone sports show that I love is the Dan Labertard show specifically because they don't take sports that seriously either. You know, they understand it's fun. I shouldn't say they understand. They agree with me that sports is supposed to be fun and it really doesn't matter that much and that there are interesting talking points that surround the sports world, but the actual win losses, I mean, okay, cool. You know, like I don't, you know, I watch to be entertained. I don't watch, you know, I'm, again, I'm a Nick fan. They don't win. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I don't watch them because I think they're going to win a championship. I know they won't. In fact, I know that they're going to be one of the worst teams in the league every year, pretty much. So I, 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 I listen to that show because they entertain me in ways that go beyond, hey, let's change baseball or, hey, uh, will will Giannis go to Golden State? Like that, that, that doesn't do, that doesn't do it for me. Maybe it does it for it clearly moves the needle for a lot of other people. But if you listen to this podcast, um, the Dan Levertard show is a huge influence like that. That shows DNA lives in this show because I enjoy it. I enjoy the entertainment value. I enjoy the comedic value. And hopefully you guys enjoy it as well. 
So you can imagine my surprise when last week ESPN announced that they're cutting an hour off of truly one of the only shows that I watch from them on any platform. It's just like, and obviously, for those of you who are not aware, Levitard definitely delves into uh, racial and societal issues much more than the majority of their radio show hosts do. And it's clearly a pivot that that network has moved on in the last four years or so that they want to stray away from talking about these kind of larger social issues, despite the fact that politicians and, again, bad faith actors continue to pull sports into these realms. Because in case you haven't been paying attention, these are truly loud dog whistles. <laughs> you know, the NBA and the NFL have somehow been pulled into these kind of culture war. Um, I think the NFL has probably, they have nodded and winked at that and, and kind of flirted with that idea. So they definitely take blame with that. And maybe the NBA does too, to some extent. But I think that they've been pulled that way much more than the NFL has. I think the NFL kind of just lingers in that pond from time to time and now they've realized oh shit these this water is getting really deep and they've tried to kind of move out of it but it's probably too late in any event the dan levertard show in my opinion is the best thing that espn produces outside of their 30 for 30s and the fact that they are voluntarily cutting an hour off of one of their best products makes zero sense and they're doing it as a reactionary measure and I keep thinking to myself, bro, you're ESPN. Why are you reacting to the fly? Why are you, have you ever seen, you know, I talked about this with my daughter often, you know, she, she's scared of spiders and you know, she's never been bitten by a spider. Spiders never hurt her, you know, but she sees a spider, she freaks out. And I keep telling her if the spider was however hundreds times bigger than you, the way you are of it, I would then understand why you would be scared of it. But you are so much larger than a spider. That spider is not worried about you. In fact, that spider is probably terrified of you. So as long as you leave it alone, it's going to leave you alone as well. You don't have to worry about it. But if you wanted to flex, if you truly wanted to flex your power, you could end everything about that spider in one second without breaking a sweat. And that's kind of the, the mentality that I have when I see ESPN through all of this gymnastics and mental work and this, like, like all of this extra stuff to because a little spider, a tiny little fly, a peasant in the sports world spectrum continues to criticize ESPN when it's clear to anyone who has a brain that no matter what ESPN does, they will be criticized for it by these people. So ESPN continues to bend over backwards to appease these people and, and to silence the critics. Meanwhile, the small fraction of the, the sports world grows because ESPN continues to, you know, maneuver and contort themselves in a way that makes no sense. So, yeah, their numbers are going to go down because they're cutting their best product. And then this is like, this, this was the thing that was the most insane to me. As I told you guys before, I don't do this show kind of on one day, one shot, right? I'll do a quarter one day and then I'll rest or I'll think about it. Maybe I improve it later on, tweak it, and then I do quarters later on, you know. Maybe that's the way you listen to the show. Maybe you don't listen to the show the whole way through. 
think that's probably a smart idea, right? It's a, sometimes a very long show. This show's probably, this episode's probably going to be kind of long as well. Um, but that's what I hope you guys appreciate about the show. You can listen to it and stop and start, whatever. Because that's how I produce it. So, you know, I had the idea of doing it on Levertard because, again, I'm a Levertard fan. I saw the news and I was like, man, what is ESPN thinking? This is so absurd. This is truly one of the dumber decisions that they have voluntarily made. And then I was like, okay, I'm going to do the fourth quarter on just Levertard. And then a few days later, ESPN suspends Adrian Wojnarowski right as the NBA is about to restart. And they suspend him. And part of the suspension is that Adrian Woj will not be going to Orlando. And he can't report on it. And I'm just thinking to myself, I'm like, all right, man, bro. What are y'all, what, what, what is really happening here? If you were to break down the people at ESPN who truly move the needle, like genuinely, when I say move the needle, I mean truly move it. Like Colin Coward moves the needle for Fox Sports. Uh, you know, no one truly, no one, I don't know, moves the needle for the NFL network because their product is going to move the needle. But you understand what I'm saying, right? The people that make ESPN go, number one would have to be Kornhouse, Kornheiser and Wilbon, 1-1-A, if you want to loop, loop them together, that's fine. No show rates better than PTI. And these guys, even if one person is there, you guys have seen these articles, if one person is there, even if one other, if like if the, the two of them are not there together, just one person goes down, the ratings drop as well. Those two guys together just do something for ESPN that no one else has been able to come close to, except for Stephen A. Smith. He would be number two or three, whatever, however you want to break it down. Maybe Scott Van Pelt is there, you know, but basically those three men, Kornheiser, Wilbon, Stephen A. Smith, those guys truly move the needle in terms of the product. Like people pay attention, they watch, they click on that stuff. And then after SVP, maybe before SP, SVP, it's Woj. He is truly one of the marquee talents at ESPN as a partnership with the NBA that means a lot to that network is about to restart. You are going to voluntarily suspend one of your stars this shit doesn't make sense because he said fuck you to a senator who is using them right he is using this kind of nba hong kong situation which again you know last week i told you the nba they fucked up on that they did they have to wear that the nba has to wear that they dropped the ball on the hong kong protest that was started by Daryl Morey. They have to wear that. But all of these people who are now using Hong Kong as kind of a gotcha moment, ask them, what are they doing to stop the oppressive behaviors in Hong Kong? So Woj, who by some reports has some interest and is invested in this story, like legitimately cares about the uh, the oppression that's happening in Hong Kong. He sent an email like, fuck you, bro. And, dog, Woj is right. Fuck that dude. He's using a real issue to garner points on some fake culture war stupidity thing with this war against the NBA. Again, dog whistles. Y'all see what time it is. 
So Woj jumps out there and tells the senator fuck you. Becomes even more popular because he did it. And then the and then ESPN, whomever decides we can't have this, we're going to suspend our one of our biggest stars right before it's showtime for him. And what he does, this is it. And we're not even going to bring you to like who does that hurt? I hope Dan Lebertard leaves ESPN. And I'm sure he will. They're doing they're moving far more into the podcast realm with the Lebertard show. And I and to give this highlights just how ignorant ESPN or how foolish or whatever the case may be, the people in charge over there, what they're doing. Because you're pushing Dan Lebertard out and pushing him further and further into the podcast realm where he already has a fanatical fan base. So when his contract is up, guess what? In a world where all of these, you know, streaming platforms are giving out hundreds upon hundreds of millions of dollars for exclusivity when it comes to podcasts, you are going to give Dan Levitard a head start, giving him more uh, more hours on the pl- podcast platform before he's up. It just doesn't make any sense. And now you have made Adrian Wojnarowski's brand even bigger because he's the guy who told a stupid senator to fuck off and then you suspended him because of it there is no one better than him and there's only one other person who you can even i shouldn't say that there are two people chris haynes is also one of them and obviously shame shams but that's it there aren't people who can do what what Woj does you're not going to find them just falling off of a tree I've whoa, just like man, fuck ESPN. I'm about to bounce. I'm going somewhere else. Guess what? That would be huge for him. Look at the nine of people who it used to be. If you left ESPN, you really wouldn't have that great of success outside of your your. You know, you'll never reach that kind of pinnacle. And that was the case for most of the time, with the one maybe two exceptions being Dan Patrick and Rich Eisen. Keith Oberman had success, but then, you know. He kind of wore out his welcome at every turn. But then after that, it was pretty much you were either one of the two exceptions, Patrick or Eisen, or you just failed. I shouldn't say failed, but you never really reached that same popularity, that same success. And then the floodgates opened. Bill Simmons, far more popular, far bigger once he left ESPN. Jamel Hill, right? Colin Coward. Like the list goes on and on. Like in the in just recent times, if you leave ESPN, man, you actually do all right. If not, grow and become bigger. And now two of ESPN's biggest stars have been pushed away by the people running the show up in Bristol. And you have to ask yourself, what are you doing? Do you even have a vision? Or are you just reacting to the fly? To the spider because the flies and the spiders they're always going to be there the critics the trolls they will always exist but the moment that you stop doing what it is that you do best and start putting energy into trying to appease and to silence the critics dog you've already lost and espn this huge brand the brand that all all of us as sports fans have some attachment to at some point at some day at some time in our lives you're looking at it now it's like man what are y'all doing like if espn did not have the nba coverage and did not have top rank i would not watch the network and i'm not 
That's not hyperbole. That's genuine. I wouldn't watch it. There's nothing there for me if Lebertard is not there. And if the ESPN basketball partnership is not there. And the ESPN partnership has been built. The ESPN NBA partnership, their coverage of the NBA is built in large part around Woj. <laughs> you can't make this stuff up. Hey, man. But every empire crumbles, right? And maybe we are watching it happen before our eyes at ESPN. But damn it. This week has been illuminating for me. It's like, bro, what the fuck are y'all doing? What are y'all on? Thank you guys for being on this podcast along with yours truly i really appreciate each and every one of you all if you can do this one thing for me before we go i would greatly appreciate it even more head on over to apple Podcasts, itunes spotify stitcher google play wherever you listen to podcasts download and subscribe and for you apple users i would really really love really really appreciate if you just spend a few moments of your day write a note write a reason for the world to know why they too should listen to the quarterly report podcast right tell me tell your friends tell the world why you love the show i couldn't thank you enough though i would try once again i also want to thank my guest this week kevin broom and again thank each and every one of you all for rocking with me this week for another episode of the quarterly report podcast y'all be safe and wear your fucking masks